Here's my note first. Don't be a. <laughs> That's my note by my computer or by my camera. Anyway, my too. new fee on life is always be a. That's why you're not working for Hallmark, you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Hello, thank you for taking a seat at the table. We are our 14th series and this is going to be our big feeling series tonight we're going to be talking about grief so it'll be a little heavy of an episode but we think it's a really important thing to cover and seated at the table is rachel hey everybody tabitha hello jamie hi jen hey everyone and i am kim mcgaisen so i think we're gonna start with jen tonight i always talk about processing the diagnosis which is what I wish I would have done for myself. And I think in processing, it allows you a little bit of time to grieve what's just happened. And I know a lot of people have their opinions on whether you should grieve a diagnosis. I have always said, I felt like I grieved the child I thought I would have and didn't see the child in front of me. And I've been very open and honest about that. I think you grieve, for me, I grieved the life I thought my daughter would have, the life I thought I would have, the way I thought I would parent. I mean, everything changes when you have this life altering thing change. And for me, the grieving came in waves. And then I would say probably it's just been the last couple of years where I think I've really accepted this is our life. It's such a flippant turn. It is what it is. You know, you, I can't change it. We can only work on it and move forward. But I still have days that I grieve this life. And, I, and when I see my daughter struggle, how hard that is because you know, that's all wrapped up into autism. So for me, yes. I, that's what I, I grieve. In that grieving process, a lot of things change. Relationships change. Your outlook changes. I was speaking to a vendor today and she shared with me that she lost her son at six years old from leukemia. And she said she had actually really never shared that. She said, absolutely, at the end of the day, it's all immaterial and doesn't matter. I know when I die, there won't be a list of all the things I owned that are going to woo people. It's all about your character the people you support yourself with and the memories you make along the way. So I was like, huh. and she was talking about how she came to that feeling while she was grieving her son. And it was just kind of ironic that we, we talked about that today because we were doing this episode tonight. So make the memories. You can't change what is make the memories. And I was like, oh, yes, we talked about the whole, all the grieving and she talked about her. And, and so Yeah, that's for me, that's like, it's really, it was grieving. I think the life I thought we would have and how hard things are for my daughter. Do you feel that you felt that grief right away, right when she was diagnosed or did it take you some time? Like, did you like understand that that's what was happening? Yes and no. Immediately I sunk, but then I think I went, you know, for a couple of years, I was kind of in a robotic we got to get this fixed. We got to get in every therapy we can get in and somebody help my kid, you know, that kind of stuff. And then when it really sunk in, I think it was when it was kindergarten, seeing her next to peers, that grieving process, that whole wave changed, if that makes any sense, right? Seeing her in that setting next to, next to her peers. So it came in chunks for me, but it's really just been the last couple of years and the strides she's made that I think we're on a track now that I can see a little bit ahead and not feel sick about it. And and that's the truth. That's the truth. So I have this quote that I found that I wanted to read. I have a couple of them, but um, I thought this one was really good. And uh, I'll tell you who it is, but I never heard of her. So I don't know if she's like somebody who's known or not. 
but it says um, there are three needs of the griever to find the words for the loss, to say the words out loud, and to know that the words have been heard. And that's by Victoria Alexander. And I looked at a bunch of them and that one like really stuck out to me because I can just relate with that. And I know a lot of people get very confused when especially parents talk about a grieving process that we go through because they, a lot of people associate grief with death. You know what I mean? And obviously our children didn't die. We have our children and we are so grateful for our children as we are all of our children. But um, there definitely is a process. There is a loss that you go through. Like whether it's the loss of the life you thought you would have or that your child would have. I mean, everybody perceives it and thinks about it in a different way. And I think that when people are forced to like push those feelings down and not acknowledge them, like I just think that is detrimental to a person because then you're like almost like shamed and made to feel guilty about it. And um, that's one of the reasons we thought it'd be important to do this episode because we want people to understand that like it's understandable to have these thoughts and go through this process when your child is diagnosed and it's normal and it's healthy and it doesn't mean you don't love your child and you should be able to talk about that because I feel like that's what helps you talking about it you know what I mean helps you and then when you realize that other people have similar feelings I think that is like a weight lifted off of you so yeah Jamie do you want to talk about like your feelings around this one of my big themes recently in of my writing and just of where I'm at in life is grieving myself and I think especially in this community but I think in general this we talk a lot about like grieving who we thought our child would be a lot but Jen said and Jen also mentioned this like grieving who she thought she was gonna be and I think that's a big thing that us as special needs moms have a hard time doing because we don't think to grieve ourselves. We're thinking about the, what we wanted for our child and what life's going to really be like and the hopes and dreams we had for them. And I think part of that really is letting go of those things within ourselves, but also grieving who we were going to be. Like we had a whole episode where we talked about career goals or what we thought we would do after we had kids and how our lives completely changed. And it's something that like, I think a, a lot of parents kind of go through that in their own way, because I think sometimes parenthood is more than a lot of people figure it's going to be, or we're not in the situations where we can just afford to do what we would like in our lives. But I do think it's an important process for us as parents to actually grieve that, grieve who we thought we were going to be. Like if you thought you're going to be a success in such and such area of your life and you're not, to grieve that and let go of that and like recognize that in yourself. I was reading an article today about self-grief and this is from the AEDPs. This is their definition of mourning for the self. And it says grief of the self, a painful but liberating experience of compassion for the self. And I love that because a lot of people can come off like as if they're being pitiful, like self-pity about themselves. And really it's about, you have to grieve yourself to move on and to recognize those things in yourself. And so like a big thing I've been working on is mourning like my, my creative side in a lot of ways, but then recognizing how that's shifted in my life now, like seeing the areas I'm being creative in, mourning like what I thought my family dynamic would be and that it's not that, or what I thought my children's relationship would be and my role in that is different. Like I... I play a different role than I thought I would as a mother. I just think it's so important for mom sitting out there to be able to like look within yourself and mourn who you thought you're going to be in wh whatever, which way that is and let go of that. And then you'll be able to move on better instead of 
for me, it was becoming resentful towards my life because it wasn't at where I wanted it to be at. And I needed to just let go of that and grieve. I mean, it's still a process still doing it, and grieve where I was. No. And I think that's a really good point because it becomes about our lives fundamentally change when you have a child, when you have children, period, your, your life changes, you know, when you have a child with special needs, your life changes in ways that like you can't imagine. That's why I feel I get so frustrated when people criticize moms talking about this because your life changes. You take on a different roles. Like it's just, there's so much that you're not expecting. And it is just, you know, it's part of sometimes there's lots of things in life that do can do this to you, but you know, you have these thoughts in your mind and these goals and these things that you think your life's going to be like, and then it changes in a way that like you can't even really wrap your head around in the beginning you know what I mean but that's like really good points Jamie that it's like you kind of grieve the loss of the person that you thought you were becoming before you had a chance to fully become that person for some of us and it's okay to feel that way because like you and I both Mm -hmm. said a lot of people criticize us for having those feelings but Mm -hmm. I think it's healthy to go through that process Mm -hmm. so another quote that I put aside was grief is the price we pay for love and that's actually my yeah. oh. And I did hear somebody say that grief is love. And that just like resonated so much with me because that's exactly what it is. And I think there's a lot of confusion about like, how, Kate, what do you mean you grieve your child? Like your child isn't sick. Your child is here. And there's a lot, a lot of shame surrounding this. When I went through this with my daughter, obviously I've talked about this many times that it was a different time. And there wasn't a lot of like support groups and a lot of information. I went through this. It's like, I didn't know that's what I was doing. You know, I went through obviously the different stages, but like didn't realize until later, like I ended up reading about it a few, like a few years later. And I was like, oh, and it said that you go through the process almost as if the same process as someone who loses a child goes through. And I'm like, oh, that's, that makes sense. And it's like, I feel like I kind of blindly went through that, but didn't really have a name for what was happening. And I feel like it's a lot of back and forth. Like, you know, I feel like in the beginning, it's su- it's such shock. It's almost like you're, you are in a sort of denial. Yes, I know that my child's autistic. No, I am not realizing that this is a lifelong condition for her. In my head, I am thinking, okay, what do we do? We get a therapy, we get our speech. We're gonna do ABA. We're gonna get into the special preschool. And they're going to do all these things with her and they're going to make her better, you know? And then by the time she's five, she's going to go to kindergarten. That is not what was happening. <laughs> but that was in my, that was my form of denial. Like that was what at that time I could accept. Obviously she was autistic. She wasn't talking, you know, she had many of the signs, but like, I couldn't fully wrap around like this was forever. Yeah. Um, that took a really long time. So I, I feel like too, a lot of people try to put a timeline on acceptance I personally feel like it's kind of like the grief where it's like, yes, you accept it, but there's little pieces that you don't fully accept at first. I think it, I think it takes time, you know, and I think some people go through these things where they think they're an acceptance, but you're not, because when you reach a time where there's aggression, when you reach a time where your child is hurting the other children that you love and protect, when they're hurting themselves, when you can't bring them in the community, when you lose relationships, friends, can't go places, you know, that's, then you're in a whole different set of 
circumstances. So I feel like it's very back and forth. And then I feel like you go through the anger, you know? I just remember being so angry because like, why? It, and it sounds so, it sounds so stupid now, but why? Just over and over that this went through my head. Why her? There's that doesn't sound kids. stupid. Sorry to pause. Sorry that it does not sound stupid. Like, was I not supposed to do that yesterday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't mean like stupid, but I mean like, it's like, I was stuck on that yeah. for a yeah. week. Like, why? Why her? And it re like, up like you were Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you look at her and it's like, but how? Like, she's just this beautiful mm -hmm. little girl. How could, how can this be? You know, and you see all these other kids and you get all these other kids running around and it seems like everybody else is perfect. You know what I mean? And then you have your child who can't do things, who can't tolerate things, who can't, you know, you can't bring her to the beach on a whim. You can't just go and do anything normal that everybody else can do. Like I couldn't pick her up and go to a different park. I didn't know. Yeah. It, is it fenced in? Where's the parking lot? Like how high are the structures? Like we, what kind of stuff do they have on the ground that she's going to eat? Like just like all these things. And it just felt like, it just felt so unfair. I got stuck on that for a while, but then you kind of, I feel like you evolve and you, you kind of learn and grow with your child. And then as time goes on, you become more understanding of like, this is, this is your child's life. This is your life. It's not, it's like Jamie said, well, didn't exactly say it, but like what she was talking about was like, my life is changing now. You know what I mean? I'm not the mom that I wanted to be. I thought I was going to be the mom that like had all the kids at her house, that was carpooling for everybody, that was going to have the sleepovers, that could, my kid would attack other kids. That couldn't happen. My kid would run around the house naked. That couldn't happen. You know, and to see my other kids kind of lose out on things, that's another grieving process because like they didn't have the normal childhood that I also thought that they would have. So it wasn't, it's not just about the special needs child. It's about the whole family, you know, and, and it's about the way it impacts everything. It's like, it's like a snowball. So if I feel like when people are critical about like, oh, you just need to accept your child. It's not about accepting your child. Like I love my child more than anything. You know what I mean? Like it has nothing to do with like the way if you love your child or not, or if you accept yeah. your child or not, it's just going through this huge change that you, I never saw this coming. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't, I didn't know there were kids that didn't talk <laughs> or like what autism was really, or, you know, I feel like when I got through my pregnancy and had a healthy child, like I was through the, <laughs> yeah. you're like, okay, we made it. Like, Phew. she's healthy. Everything's great. And, you know, I just think it's, it's just a very intense process to really, I feel like understand. And I don't think it was until she was like six or seven that it fully, fully like hit me that like, mm -hmm. This was not just like a thing that was gonna, of course, aspects of it get, well, yeah, aspects of it get better. I mean, she's a hundred speeds away from where she was when she was younger or where they thought she would be. And I'm so grateful for her, but I wish I could tell people that like, I'll never get over it. I'm never going to get over it. Like it's buried down deep. I don't dwell on it. I very rarely compare her to people, but if I allow myself to do it, me and Jen were on the phone the other night as I was trying to make her feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat talking about it and I started crying like 24 years in it still is painful it is still painful to really think about certain aspects like who was I talking to the other day and we were talking about Alyssa being 26 so when I was oh so we went out trick-or-treating the other night and um we got a couple little sideway glances and I think that one lady thought that Alyssa was my niece's mom like 
you could see the confusion when Alyssa also had a bucket in I Rachel, I think it was you I was talking to. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's so weird to think that she could be someone's mom. When I was like, 26, I had three children. It's I weird to dad. think that when you were her age, you had all these kids on that driveway. Like that's, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. But I so. also think you were saying something like you, you were talking about the like 24 years in or even when she was six and seven. And I, and I think I said it, but I think that grieving process changes. But I also think things spur within that grief, anger, sadness, resentment. Yes. I've always said it's like everyone else's lives carried on. And of course they would, but I felt a, a band, you know what I mean? And then there's a grief yeah. to that and part like, of your life. It feels like a little bit of jealousy, you know, in, in certain aspects I think social media makes it really hard sometimes to like just yeah. be in that own but you know I had the luxury of having more of that than you guys do because we kind of lived in our bubble and didn't really realize where all this was exactly supposed to be you know what I mean and then it's like yes. when you said then you see them around certain kids their age and it's like I have a nephew who's the exact same age as Alyssa they're months apart we didn't see him all the time he lived in a different state so then every now and again once a year or whenever it was when I would see him it was such a jolt. This is what she's supposed to be doing. This is where she's supposed to be. And I know people say, oh, they're who they're supposed to be, blah, 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 blah. I don't believe that. I just believe that there is something either in her genetics or her DNA or the environment or whatever it is. I don't believe that she was supposed to be a child for the rest of her life. I don't believe that. I don't believe she was supposed to miss out on relationships, on friendships, on being a I mom, agree. having a job. It is what her life is. And we damn sure make the best of it. And she's happy and healthy. And those are the two most important things. And I will do anything to bring her joy. I don't care what it is. I will go to whatever lengths it is to make her happy because she deserves that because she doesn't get to an experience of regular life. And like I said, do I sit there and cry about it every day? Of course not. I go months without thinking about it. I can go six months without ever getting sad. But it could just be that one little thought that creeps in your head or something you see. And like when I was thinking about the fact that like she's 26, I was a mom times three at 26. I had three children. I had been married for two years. I had gone to school, you know what I mean? Worked all these different jobs, you know, already lived and experienced life. And she doesn't get to do that. You know, she gets to be with us and she gets to be home and, and all that stuff, but she doesn't get to have these experiences. And sometimes it's like, it just hits you and you're like, it's just like a wow moment. And then I wipe my tears and then I go on with my day and, you know, I don't think about it again for maybe it'll be another year. Maybe it'll be another six months. It's not, it's not like it was in the beginning, but it is a painful thing to watch a child struggle, to watch a child struggle to communicate, to watch them not be able to understand certain things and navigate the world in certain ways because you want to I want to ease that for all my children you know what I mean like Alyssa is not the only one in this family who has struggles clearly but I can talk everybody else through their struggles you know I can't really talk her through things because she doesn't understand why things are upsetting her so it's like I can't tell her <laughs> and she doesn't understand everything that I'm saying to her so you know it's just it's a really hard thing sometimes and I don't think I'll ever quote unquote be over it I never will be. And I don't think I'll fully ever accept it because they're still in the teeny, teeny corner of my mind. I'm, I'm just still waiting for that day that she's going to wake up and be like. Kimmy, you said fundamentally earlier, and I've, I've written several times right, where I've said it has fundamentally changed me as a person. Absolutely. And how yeah. could it not, really? Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And in some ways that all these blessings are brought into your life mm -hmm. because of autism mm -hmm. and because of Alyssa. And 
I wouldn't know you guys. You know what I mean? I wouldn't understand the gratitude and the simplest things that life can bring. I probably wouldn't even notice those things if it wasn't for autism. You know, I think there are beautiful parts of it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having autism or being autistic. And I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about my personal experience as a mom, as a person, you know, my other children's experience. It's been hard on them too. So it's just, it's really hard to just be like, oh, okay, like I've accepted it and I'm, you know, ready to power through. And I think you do do that, but like there's always little sidestep, especially when things are hard. It's so easy to be accepting when things are going great. It's like, okay, well, things are looking up, they're going pretty good, you know, but I feel like it's, there's always some little surprise that's lurking around the corner. Anyways, that's my take on grief as far as diagnosis and autism. Oh, I can take a breath now. <laughs> Who wants to go next? Tabs, go girl. Uh, so when we were preparing for this episode, I was like, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> what is there to say about grief? I feel like I've lived a lifetime of grieving, honestly. I grew up in a mountain of adversity, which I don't generally talk about on my page or on this podcast. And somehow by a miracle came out as a person with a degree who got a Juris Doctorate, some kind of miracle situation. But my entire childhood was basically a circumstances of watching others have things that I didn't. And so I think that's something you learn over time to accept about yourself. And it also gives you grit and resilience, which is a benefit to you. You know, like I think everyone's talked in the landscape of autism and how that's affected our lives. When my kids were diagnosed, well, specifically when Nixon was diagnosed, because he was our first kiddo who was diagnosed with autism, I went through what Kim was talking about is like, why us haven't I lived enough life of pain and and suffering it not because of my son but because I don't want my child to live in a world where it's not set up for him and it's hard for him and he has to do therapies instead of doing after school programs and struggle to learn skills and be misunderstood and all the things I felt about myself as a kid kind of and then when Nora was diagnosed it was like a sweeping brick of grief I felt grief with Nixon, with Nora, it was life altering. I would say her diagnosis because she had typical development. We kind of thought that things were going the way that they should go. And then it was like a loss of language and a dramatic shift in her as a person. And when we got her diagnosis, I kind of flew into like months of grief. And it was a mountain of many things, you know, that I already knew what we were facing as far as advocacy and therapies and, you know, all the supports you have to put in place. And then I kept going back to this thing of like thinking that I could not do this. I'm going to cry. I knew I was going to cry. People Uh, get ready for it. But I think it, the grief for me comes a lot from like feeling inadequate as a person and not so much in relation to like supporting my kids and knowing that they'll be okay because they have us to back them up and cheerlead for them. Um, And I think, you know, like Kim was saying, autism brings a lot of things into focus in our lives and kind of makes you shift 
what you thought was important to now what is important. But I grieved over both diagnoses and I also had a very traumatic birth experience with my son, which was very uncommon. And I almost died. I was in the ICU for a long time. And so I grieved over that. I mean, my parenting journey started with grief and all these mountains of things come back to that. Like how much can one person kind of take on and heal from? And so we had the two diagnoses and you guys know, but I haven't talked about this publicly. I haven't written about it. We moved across the country. And mainly that was due to Nick and I getting divorced. And this time frame of my life has been filled with grief. I mean, and it is, it does center around love. I mean, you build a life of another person in January, we would have been together 20 years. So we grew up together, we're kids together, you know, so I've been processing that as well. And My nephew passed away pretty dramatically in the midst of all of this. Uh, We just hit two years since his passing on Halloween. So there's been like just this mountain of grief to overcome in my life. And I have shifted and changed as a person. I'm trying to come back to like who I actually am. And grief isn't linear. You can feel fine for a period of time and then something will hit you and the grief is unstoppable you can't stop it the train from coming and you can live there for a little while and I think what people don't understand about grief is that you just don't get over things I mean our kids autism diagnosis we learn and grow and become better at managing as parents but it's not that you can just overcome or have that go away forever you know I mean I've struggled with the fact that doing this by myself. And I don't really want to talk about too much about his perspective or my kid's perspective on what's happened, but parenting two kids by myself is hard. It's really, really, really hard. And add the layers that come along with an autism diagnosis makes it 10 times harder. And then add in that I'm trying to heal as a person from saying goodbye to my career and my husband and our family structure. It's pretty big feelings, no doubt about that, you know? So if listeners made it to this point (laughs) through my crying, the real thing is, is that I think we've said this before on the podcast, like it's unfair for someone to tell you how you should feel about something. And we are not dismissing our children by having feelings. You have to walk through those feelings to come out the other side. And sometimes that takes being in a fog or, you know, rediscovering who you are as a person or giving yourself time to understand whatever's happening around you. And sometimes you can't manage as a human being with everything that's been thrown at you. I mean, grief's a real, there's no doubt about it. And we love you so much, Tabitha. Oh, yeah, it's. It's a hard run for me right now. And it's hard to talk about publicly. It really is. And there, I mean, people are going to, this is the most asked question. What happened? Nothing happened. I just told you what happened. There's been two years of bombshells and we got together when we were kids. You know, I mean, that's what it boils down to. There's no like mystery circumstance why we're getting divorced. And we co-parent our kids fantastically still to this day. We're on the same team when it comes to our kids. And some of that can be filled with grief. Being together, supporting each other is also very painful. So it's great for our kids. And I think 
fantastic and I will do it. I will swallow any feelings in order to make things easier for my kids, but it's hard. So there we are. That's the grief. I mean, I, and I think that there's going to be another mom out there who also probably doesn't want to talk about all these things that you just talked about. And, you know, maybe this yeah. will help somebody because it is just all hard stuff. Yeah. I recommend therapy. Or at least gonna... chocolate cake. <laughs> A shout out I was like, therapy. I recommend some red wine, but you know, don't take advice yeah. from me. Uh, one more quote and then we'll, we'll hear. Rachel's perspective deep grief sometimes is almost like a pacific location a coordinate on a map of time when you are standing in that forest of sorrow you cannot imagine that you could ever find your way to a better place but if someone can assure you that they themselves have stood in that same place and now have moved on sometimes this will bring hope and I just thought this was really beautiful and so true and I think this is why it's important to talk about it because there's somebody out there that can't imagine being where we are now you know with our kids or whatever it is that we're going through and that's elizabeth gilbert from eat pray and love i've never seen that movie but i like this quote so maybe i will rachel what is your what are your feelings around this i feel a little bit like grief has been a common theme in my life and a common feeling in my life although it's always been a little different Like I have some typical grief, like the death of my grandparents, who I was super close with and sort of, I feel like dealing with that so young, my family helped me to kind of honor it in a systematic way, like seven steps of grief hospice book style and like kind of just learning that these things are okay. And so I think I processed those, like the mourning of and, and like processed my grief in a very healthy way in, in like the finality of processing someone's passing or death, you know, the stuff I have not been so great at is like, I think the common theme around some of my biggest lessons in grief has been around adoption, both in being adopted, um, that for some being adopted means being abandoned. For me, I was raised in a way that I believed from a very early age that my birth mom made this selfless choice. And now I know there's a lot more to that, but I feel like that was like a a helpful tool for me to process sort of that I maybe didn't fit in one way, but I was welcome and chosen in the areas that like, if I didn't fit with my family, I was still the one that was picked and honored. And I was given this chance to have a different life. And later on in our adoption process, we faced a grief that is sort of hard to navigate because it's, not often talked about. We had a parental grief, like each time a baby was about to be ours or a child was about to be ours and the the circumstances changed, we had to deal with the loss of something we didn't even have. And that's hard to talk about because people don't get it. You know, like if they're at my house, they can see that there's an empty nursery or they can see that there's a door closed or like busted Kleenex in the crib. (laughs) They can see it when they're there. But as we all know, when you're actually helping someone through grief, it's not just the moment that you get the call or that someone passes or that it happens. It's like this long-standing thing. It's like the nursery's still there tomorrow and six years mm-hmm. from now and still empty eight years from then. And you know, for me, I feel like all of that, like to tab at this point earlier, grief has given me a grit. I believe what I've gone through helped me to be strong. And I feel like in the light of having such little expectation and such big hope and such big love left. Like all I had was love left after an adoption process like we had. That heart 
where it's so broken and so raw that still wanted to be a mom was able to accept Celie in a different way than if I had not lived through that experience. I feel like where my grief is today isn't in the adoption stuff. It isn't in possible foster care and like someone being in our home for a short time and leaving. It's more wrapped around the, the guilt. Like I feel like I'm mourning my disappointment more than I'm in grief. I'm processing that people don't actually care. I'm processing that in so many ways, the school isn't right. The medical system isn't right. This is not right. This is not right. Like there's so many different places where we're not the right fit or she's not the right fit for them or she's too much this or we're too much that or whatever. There's like this disappointment and this like, I cannot believe that this is true. Like that it isn't just my paradigm or my bad attitude or I'm at the wrong clinic. No, all the goddamn clinics have a wait list. Nobody can help my kid. Like those deep, deep, deep feelings of like, well, except the facts hit so parallel to grief to me that it's just like this roller coaster of disappointment, denial, rage, straight rage. <laughs> like really, like it, it, it so parallels the grief process, but I don't think it, I don't know that it really is that for me. It's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm the one in denial. I, I just, I don't know if it's grief. It's like complicated though, in that same way. I will say, because we're talking about grief at large, one of the other ways that we've had to deal with grief in my life most recently is that my mom passed in the beginning of the pandemic. And the way that we navigated that with Celie, and I know that all of our kids are so different, but for us, we just gave her facts as few and as many as the questions required. And we tried to give her a tool, like a thing to hug. And we tried to give her the words like legacy, like Augie might not be here, my mom, but we have this way to honor her, or we do this to celebrate her, or a blanket to snuggle her or whatever. Ultimately, I think all of these things teach you to be a good listener and hopefully to be more empathetic and resilient. I don't know. I can say of each of you, the grief that I faced has brought me to this strong, witty and funny Canadian, this stay car for me and read my books to me and tell me the truth when everybody else is off the call to me. And sweet Jamie, I just, I'm so proud of all of us, Jamie, like the way that you were able to verbalize your experience in this recent podcast you were on rocked my world. Like, I'm just so proud of the progress we've all made in our 22, seven, two, three, four years in this journey. Cause tabs like high five, big hugs. I just, mm. I think without this whole emotional thing, we wouldn't be so vulnerable to be as good a friend and we wouldn't be able to be here for one another and like live in that I'm sorry that it sucks and that's all we can say part of our friendship I was just gonna say for what you were saying earlier because I wrote a piece and I think I wrote it better than I'm gonna say now I was just trying to look to see what I said but I was talking about the ongoing process of acceptance like acceptance is never finite I think especially mm -hmm. for we see that in autism a lot but even like with what tabs is going through or when you lose someone you're always going to be reminded there's mm -hmm. going to be a little thing. You're going to wake up in the morning, you know, like I know for me, after I've lost someone, you wake up in the morning and you kind of forget for a second. And then you remind yourself mm -hmm. all over again. But I think like how you're talking about that parallel in your life, that's all part of your grieving process. And I think it's that ongoing acceptance that it's never ending. Like Tabs was also saying, but it's all connected. Like it's just all reminders of those things and like we can accept little parts of it and we can slowly move forward but I want you to know you're justified and feeling yeah. mm -hmm. and it is a circle of love like 
I mean, one thing that if I've learned anything over the past two years, it's that when you need it the most, people give you what you need. If you can open up and accept it, which I have a problem doing and being vulnerable and telling people I need help, even if you don't know what that help is supposed to look like. Mm -hmm. And this idea of like a linear grief, like you're saying, it, it will hit you. I mean, I wept because I had to take my garbage out, <laughs> my own garbage, and the garbage can was tipped over. And then I had to pick up the <laughs> disgusting garbage can, and I'm five foot two, and it was such a big <laughs> garbage can. And I, I hate taking, <laughs> and I hate taking out the garbage. And in that, public. yeah, in that moment, I was hit with the reality that I'm alone. I'm alone in this house as I'm picking up this goddamn garbage can. And it's moments like that that hit you with, there's literally no stopping it. And that it really is the little things, Tabs, yeah, right? It like is. It, it, it is. is. The perfect song on the radio when you have to go to 14 IEP meetings and the last thing on earth is you want to muster up energy to fight with people about your kid and try and teach them about your kid. I mean, it's moments like that that hit you and you are blown away by the grief and all the other feelings that come with it, rage, sadness, not having a choice. And I feel like grief really lives in that concept that something happened to you and you did not have a choice in that circumstance. And I will say that about my divorce too. I did not go into a marriage thinking that 20 years later, I would be trying to move my way through a divorce and that's no fault to Nick or myself, but it wasn't realistically a given choice, even though people might see it as that way, as that is what it is. You know what I mean? So I think when we talk about people shaming people for their grief, how are you not supposed to have all these layered feelings in something that you had no decision as it being a part of your life? losing someone or having a child that has an autism diagnosis or a disability. And to me, this divorce feels like a dramatic loss, you know? So absolutely. And and I'll say the, the, sorry, the pressure of autism at Tabitha and then two children. And statistically they say it's 80% of marriages are impacted by a diagnosis. And so I think for a lot of people, it's, I mean, it's, prof- it's profound. Mm-hmm. Again, it fundamentally changes the people. Yeah. Are, and I, you know, for sure. And I'm not speaking it, for you, but you know what I'm saying? No. Statistically, you just change. There's no doubt in my mind that in general, having my children changed me as a human being right. prior to autism diagnosis, just in general, mothering in itself, uh, changed my focus and some things don't make it through that. They mm-hmm. really don't, you know, they just don't. And that includes other close relationships you have. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make it through that. And I'm an unfiltered person as it is. Add autism, loss, and divorce. I mean, watch what you say, people. To my face. (laughs) I think think there's such a yin. There's like the yin and yang or whatever to what we're saying. You know, with this grief comes strength. With this like struggle comes the grit with all of all of the stuff. But you know, Jamie touched on it a little bit. I feel like there's this sense of self that mm-hmm. you, you, you're, you, you change, you know, and when you're in like the slump and you like, you have to get out of that. Otherwise you're just 
in the struggle, right? Like, so you have to pick yourself up. I feel yeah. like constantly I've had to be like the river, you know, each season as this river flows, like it's still flowing every year, every day, every whatever, but it changes because there's a dam over here because a tree fell unbeknownst to the river. Like yeah. because there was a rock slide because of a big storm that had nothing to do with the river. The river has to divert and go this way. Now it's a little muddy. Then it's going to be clear. Then it's like all the seasons change this river, but it's still that I totally lost my sense of Rachel through some of these periods where you just didn't realize that it isn't a phase of grief, but that you've let go to give, like you're just in the hard. And I'm trying to keep in this phase of where we're at a few years into diagnosis and fighting for what she needs and hearing no all the goddamn time. And I still need to find Rachel and like, keep myself healthy and keep myself okay and fulfill my need. Even if that means I'm painting a silly thing on my wall. (laughs) or trying to figure out ways that I can like fulfill the love that I have to give because I don't pour out love and get anything back in the way you'd think like it's I could spend a day and a half with my daughter serving her every need and she doesn't actually know I'm in the room I could put out a thousand emails or a thousand calls this one place doesn't even answer my calls or my emails and I you know it's just like endless it's endless so like keeping attached to myself and my power and like keeping it together to keep propelling forward is take some work. I think the obvious stuff of obviously our children with their diagnosis, the grieving of that, that life again, that we thought we would have this typical parenting life with our children. But I know we were talking about, like Tabitha said, other relationships for me, it really hit my friendships. I went through this grieving period of that, but I also shut everybody out. That's how I grieved. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to see anybody. And with all due respect, I don't want to have lunch with you and hear about your children. I mean, I couldn't hear about it. I was devastated. And so that turned into anger, that grief boiled over, you know, and that mm-hmm. just, it, you just shift as a person. And I think people don't realize how lonely it becomes. Grief just eats you alive. And Mm -hmm. I think for the five of us here, and I I know I speak for all of us, but I'm speaking for myself, finding moms that truly understand this life. And it, you know, I know that sounds so condescending to some And the complicated feelings that go with it. Yeah. The big feelings that go with it. Mm -hmm. I know for me really saved my sanity and my heart, to be honest. Going off what you're saying, Jen, and what Rachel said, Tabs was hitting on this too. Like we all have the right to grieve. And so I don't want to make this about this. And we've talked about this in a a previous episode, but parents out there or anyone grieving, never let someone tell you that you're not allowed to voice your grief. It's healthy that you're doing that and that you're Mm -hmm. expressing yourself. I think us as bloggers all the time, we're told to be silent. We're told that we're, you know, making it all about us and this and this and that. And it's like, yes, in some ways that can happen with people, but we're expressing ourselves because we all have read stories about moms or parents who are not able to, and that silence kills them inside because they feel like they can't express themselves because it sounds like they're complaining, but they deserve to have a voice and say, this is hard for me. And Mm -hmm. that's how they're going to come to the acceptance and the compassion they need to is by voicing it. Mm-hmm. So don't ever feel like you need to be silenced. And if someone's trying to silence you, tell them to suck it. <laughs> and there, was, there was another thing that I read that I said um, the only way through 
grief is to grieve. Yes. So yeah. if someone is trying to squash that, if someone is trying to like not allow that, then you're not able to grieve. If you don't grieve, you can't move on to the next yeah. stage. And I want to clarify by saying, <laughs> I don't want to traumatize any of you newly diagnosed moms. You don't live in the grief 24 seven. In the mm -hmm. beginning, yes, it is like an open wound that's just pouring. And in time that heals. And sometimes there's little slivers, you know, there's little slivers that reopen that at different times, but you know, you are able to move on. You know, I am very grateful and, and happy. And Alyssa brings me so much joy to my life, to our family's life. She makes us laugh every day. So, you know, I'm not over here in that frame of mind anymore. Every once in a while, if I think about something or you know, like, like Travis said earlier, sometimes it could be a song. It could be just some little thing that, you know, may trigger that. And I get over it quickly. I feel the feelings. Maybe I'll get sad. And then, you know, I might talk about it with one of you guys or with my husband. And then I move on. It's like, it didn't even happen. Another thing I wanted just to mention quickly was I think for something that shifted my perspective personally was when Alyssa was four, Neil's mother was diagnosed with pancreas cancer. She was 48 years old and I've written about this. She, and they gave her six months to live. I mean, I was 26 at the time. I ended up getting pregnant later um, that year with Kara and she ended up living for two years. And that I think shifted my perspective because that was a different type of grief because that was actually yeah. somebody that I loved. And that was the first person I really lost. Like my grandparents had passed away, but they weren't in my everyday life the way my mother-in-law was. My mother-in-law was here beside me every step of the way with Alyssa. And she would come and she would help us. And she loved Alyssa and advocated for her like nobody else. So it was such a different type of a loss. And then it made autism really not seem like the end of the world by the end of that, because I had another baby. We eventually lost his mom, you know, almost two years later. And it just put it into a different perspective, which of course there was you know, I'm always sad if Alyssa has to struggle or be hurt. I don't want to see any of my kids struggling. You know, as a mom, it, if you can't fix things, it, it, it hurts you. But it shifted that grief, I think, for me because we lost somebody. We still had Alyssa. We could still hold her and struggle her. And Grief with know. the finality is different than grief without. Yeah. And she was, was, even when she was really hard, she still had lots of joy. You know, she still had lots of laughters and giggles. I mean, I always say she's happy until she's not. <laughs> mm. That stands true even today. But I think that for me, like just shifted my perspective and obviously having another baby and her, you know, being typical was a huge relief. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but like it was, and it allowed me to fill some of that void that I think I had with Alyssa because I was able to do more typical things with her. So that did also, I think, help. It helped heal me a little bit. And then I had another kid two years later. And then I don't know if that healed me or like made me insane. But like, I just didn't really have a lot of time to dwell on it. So <laughs> life went I, on. The other thing about grief that I've thought about a lot, not only from my own perspective, but watching my family grieve. And mm -hmm. a lot of that grief lives in a fear of the unknown. And so like with our kids autism diagnosis at the beginning, unless you've had some experience with autism before, which I did not, right. um, you know, nothing. And so you don't know what that's going to look like for your kids. And still to this day, I mean, I know where I was going to be four. So I don't know what that's going to look like for her long-term, but I 
understand so much more, which kind of chips away at the grief a little bit, because Mm -hmm. as you learn, and it's the same with loss in general, like my fear about being alone and my fear about parenting solo. And, you know, when you lose someone, the reality that you're never going to see them again lives in a fear. And, you know, how are you going to do that? How are you going to manage your way through? So there's so many layers to grief that I think if someone is dismissing your grief, there's a lack of understanding of that complicated layer of loss that lives there, you Mm. know, and no matter what it looks like. Um, I have to give myself grace for the people that have not experienced this, that don't understand me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, Oh, well, bless you for not getting this thing. Like lucky on you that you don't get like the gravity of what this is. This isn't like Rachel chose to stay at home and then like gets to play glitter makeup with her kid. Mm -hmm. This is so cute. Look at how many things she gets to do. No, it's like, no, it's not like that. Actually, like we just all know what it is. This is the 14th episode or series. (laughs) This, the thing that I, I will say more than any other thing though, is that sharing freed all of us. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. Sharing helps you to process feelings that would turn to grief if left alone Mm. for me. And I Mm -hmm. feel so strongly that like I shared to help people to not get left behind as I was learning so quickly, meaning I would learn about scripting. So I write about what this is and how this shows up for us. But then suddenly moms were messaging back like, oh my God, Daniel Tiger, me too or whatever. And you suddenly start creating these bonds. Like it's not just that I'm throwing out this life vest for someone. It's that I had to build a life vest to throw. I extended it to someone. Like it it, it just comes back and it saves me time after time, way after way, like layer after layer. It's true for all of us. Even if it's putting words down, lets them out of your rattle fritz in the head. You you listen to Harry Potter to go to bed tonight at night right now, or are you letting us hear all your feelings enough that you don't need him anymore. I've been meaning to ask you that. Oh, I need, I need him. Oh my God. You should get on our night calls. We're super good friends of yours. <laughs> we'll help you to process. You can love you guys. Can help me process, but that's anxiety. This is a whole different. <laughs> another, another, another layer of the mind break. What I wanted to say before we quit this grief is there is no doubt in my mind I'm really cussing up a storm on this episode but welcome to the big feelings people that I could have made it through these past two years if we all were not friends there is no doubt in my mind I am so grateful for you guys I just have to say that before I'm crying again but (laughs) I love you I want to say I was just talking to a mom who has an older child and she was talking about how Kimmy talks a lot about when her child was diagnosed how she had no one and not just with autism or the situation but like Jen was saying it helps so much to find people and I'm saying this as a total introvert awkward person but it helps so much to have people around who who can understand you and or understand what you're going through and because we were just talking about how she sees moms getting to like a much better place way quicker Mm -hmm. than when her child 100 percent because and like the internet Social media has a lot of issues, but <laughs> it is amazing that you can find people and how hard that is to find people. Cause even if you, I might be able to find a mom near me who has an autistic child, but that doesn't mean we're going to mesh and get along. I've found these 
five women who Kimmy likes to say we would never be friends otherwise. But he does say that. Oh, she does say that a lot. We get along and like we're able to, and we just know each other. And nothing proved that to me more than when we finally met in person. It was like, it literally, like, again, as a weird, shy, introvert person, it literally felt so comfortable for me. I was like, oh, these are my people. And that's uh, because we we survived naming our podcast, James, and the color of the podcast. Well, it's like I picked Jamie up from the airport and like we didn't even miss a beat. Like, Neil put her luggage in the trunk, she jumped in. And we just started yeah. chatting up a storm the whole ride. It was like, I fought with Neil about trying to pay for his water at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> I think if Jen was a full-size person, we would have just gone full full swing too. But I had to realize that she was like a three-quarter scale. And, well, and then we were right on. She off. literally ran across the lobby entryway and jumped into my arms. They were like <laughs> matching, matching sizes. Well, she was a lot smaller than me. Let, no, but it's fine. It'll be fine in April. It'll be fine in April. So what it comes down to is we want all of you to be heard, to be seen. Mm-hmm. We understand the failings. They're normal failings. Everybody exactly. has a right to them. Mm-hmm. And grief is love. We grieve because we love. And I think that's what you have to keep in mind. Don't let anyone make you feel bad about it or make you be quiet about it. Don't be quiet yeah. about your feelings. Talk about you don't it. have Talk about um, it. But we want to thank you guys and then our next episode will not be so sad and heavy we're not going to cry on our next episode we, we can't guarantee already. that we cannot guarantee that <laughs> for yourself we, we can because we actually already recorded it so. oh just kidding it's a good one that's true we did it's a good okay one. everyone thank you so much for listening um we'll see you next time bye everyone bye, bye. thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of the table for five no reservations podcast we have new episodes every monday if you'd like to become a supporter of our podcast please check out the link at the bottom of this episode's description please make sure to follow rate and review us wherever you listen follow us on facebook and instagram for more content we also now have a newsletter check the description for where to sign up thank you for sitting with us at the table See you next Monday.